Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 78. Renegades Crown Champions, Rookie Draft, and Roster Rules. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Seeing we are officially in the XFL offseason, there will likely be a few tweaks to the show. In the coming days, we will have a survey available for listeners to share their thoughts on the show and our 2023 season coverage. We encourage each of you to take a moment to complete the survey to help us improve and provide a more enjoyable listening experience. This episode's title says it all, folks. The 2023 Arlington Renegades are champions of the XFL. This week, we have a few new league developments to discuss. In addition, contributor Mark Hallback returns to review the XFL championship game. Also, XFL news sub journalist Anthony Miller returns to discuss the Arlington Renegades winning the XFL championship. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On May 15th, the XFL announced 11 players who have signed National Football League contracts. Since then, the league has provided updates of additional players who have also signed NFL contracts. At this moment, I will not share each of them. For additional information, follow the XFL in each of the team's social media accounts. Then, on May 18th, the league announced the XFL rookie draft will be held virtually on Friday, June 16th. According to the press release, players seeking this opportunity must meet the following criteria. Eligible to have been drafted in the 2023 National Football League draft and not under contract by a professional football team. League personnel directors and coaches have been actively evaluating talent for its 2024 season, including players who were invited to the NFL rookie minicamps but did not sign a contract. To allow for the increased number of players, XFL team rosters will expand from 51 to 90 players during the offseason. Drafted rookies will be placed on XFL rosters with players who finished the 2023 season on active and reserve list. All players who sign an XFL contract, including players who remain under contract for the 2023 season, will have an NFL out until Tuesday, December 26, 2023, following the conclusion of Week 16 of the NFL season. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by contributor Mark Allback to review the XFL Championship game. The 2023 XFL Championship is in the books, and we are here to review it all. So welcome back, Mark. Are you ready to jump right into it? Well, it's great to be back. And yes, we we finally got to the XFL Championship game and what a game it was. And I'm looking forward to hearing about your in San Antonio. I watched the game from comfy uh, seats at home. 
you know, so we'll have a good good perspective here of a, a couple different views, which I'm looking forward to comparing a little bit. So, yeah, let's get to it. The XFL held its championship game at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. For anyone who may not know, this might be a shocker, but there could be one or two out there. It was between the South Division champion, the five and six Arlington Renegades, and the North Division champion, the ten and one DC Defenders. Before kickoff, the over-under was 49 points, and the defenders were favored by eight and a half points. That being said, Vegas got it wrong. The Renegades took control early and never looked back, defeating the defenders 35 to 26. It was the reimagined, reinvented Renegades offense. That was the talk of the game, all right? Just at least from where I'm at, what I've seen on social media. Luis Perez was amazing. And Kelly Bryant even had opportunities to bring a new dynamic aspect under center for the team. Before I dive into statistics, because you know what's going to happen, Mark. I, you know, at some point I'm going to do it. What are your thoughts on this game and the outcome? Well, as you know, leading up to this the few weeks, you know, I was pretty hard on the the Renegades in Arlington. And you have to give that team a lot of credit. You have to give that, you know, coaching staff a lot of credit for making changes when they knew they needed to be made and then being able to execute. And Luis Perez, he is like a zombie. He, he comes back from the dead. Everybody tries writing him off. Everybody tries to get rid of him. Everybody tries to find his replacement and the guy comes in and was flawless. He had maybe one, he had one fumble that one mistake. And so you got to give that team a lot of credit. Now DC looked a little flat and we talked about that prior to the show here a little bit, but I don't think that was, that could have been also because of the Renegades defense. You got to remember the Renegades defense has been, there all year. They have been one of the best defenses and they were probably sick of hearing about the DC defenders defense and how good they were. And you got to give Jonathan Hayes and Chuck Long had an amazing game plan and Luis Perez was flawless and you know, he got everybody involved. They had balance, right? We talked about balance. They had a little bit of balance. They weren't getting big chunks in the running game, but you had to honor it because they were getting just enough to honor it. And they got explosive plays, which I I mentioned during our preview that they needed. And they were able to get those as well. A lot of them. I'll tell you this about DC, though. Every time you thought DC was going to make a run at it and get right back into it, get, you know, maybe tied up or take the lead. They'd make a boneheaded play, whether it's a penalty that moves the kickoff back 15 yards, and then you can't make the kick to the 20. So it goes to the plus 45, you know, possession that happened twice to them. And one right before the half, when they scored and they were getting some momentum, the kicker kicks it out of bounds or was it one of the two times. You got one job as a kicker. Come on. You don't even have to kick extra points for crying out loud. Right. We've talked about that. <laughs> I talked about punters, right? But 
you could not make those mistakes in a championship game. And they did. The other thing too, was for the love of God, I was screaming at the TV for DC to run a double move, you know, run a sluggo route off of your RPO. Like they are jumping slants like crazy. They're putting their hands up, you know, run a slant, you know, a sluggo. We call it a sluggo all the time. It's a slant and go. And it's a double move and it's off the quick game. You can run it off of RPO. You can fake the run and do it. They did have the one really good play, which was the, as Chuck Long said it, the same side counter where Abrams busted it. But every time you, you got that big play, they one time, you know, Abrams scores or gets a conversion and he throws the ball at the other guy. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like that is the dumbest thing you could do. And one of the things that I also saw in this game, and I'm going to bring this up, and this is a little bit of a criticism to the league, and and I get criticized on Twitter because of this, and because I said early on in the year with St. Louis and D.C. that these, you know, the XFL and the referees need to get things a little bit more on, under control. And Greg Williams even said it himself. His team was too busy talking instead of playing. They did a better job yapping their mouth than they did playing. And as a spectator, I don't want to see that crap. That's just me. As a coach, I don't want to see that. Like you can jaw and you can do a little trash talking. That's fine. But it was constant with all these players. And I, I kind of looked at my wife and she said, well, you know, and I, I said to her, hey, you know, the maturity level of these players in this league is a little bit less than it is in the NFL. And it might very well be why they're not in the NFL. So I think coaches, I think the league, I would really like to see them address that. And you can call me old fashioned. You can call me what you want. I don't mind a little bit of jawing. I don't mind a little bit of pushing and shoving sometimes, especially when someone takes a cheap shot, like defending your quarterback or defending your players. But it was constant during this game. And it was a little too much. You don't see that as much in the NFL. Because these guys know that these guys are trying to make a living and they're all trying to make a living. So that was my one criticism about the game is uh, I felt that, but I felt it hurt DC and Greg Williams even said it. People weren't doing the jobs. Now the renegades came out and drove straight down the field <laughs> in an oppressive drive and had balance and scored. And DC then gets the ball and goes three and out. You know, they're getting the ball batted all around and, and can't get the running game going because that's what the, the Renegades were able to stop that with their front seven easily and can play too deep. Then they took the ball and, and spent eight minutes on the field, over eight minutes on the field scoring their second touchdown. So they just kept the offensive player of the year on the bench. When you look at time of possession, I mean, it was about, you know, just under 40 minutes the Renegades had it out of a 60 minute game, you know, so that helps your defense. And Luis Perez was flawless. The crossing routes, I could not admit. They ran so many crossing routes, and D.C. just was losing people as they were running. And Luis would get the ball out at the right time and hit somebody in stride every time and uh, did a really good job. And they took advantage of the mistakes, D.C., the two kickoff blunders, able to take advantage of both of them. So congratulations to, to the Arlington Renegades and Bob Stoops, his staff. And those players, they did a great job and never gave up and got hot late, right? <laughs> like I always said, and it was phenomenal to watch. 
So, and congratulations to Luis Perez. I mean, this is, how can you not root for that guy? So I think everybody's happy to see him win a championship after kind of being dismissed, you know, everywhere he went, you know, kind of, and found a home and, and took advantage of it. So, you know, they did a great job and, and DC just, you know, didn't take advantage of opportunities and made too many mistakes and turned the ball over. So. So we had just discussed how, or say we, you were just discussing how the renegades kind of got off to the start and defenders are sluggish, right? There's something I kind of want to address here a little bit before we get into the, the more of the football. Cause, uh, there was a pretty big event that happened that I started hearing people as the time went on. We're getting a little frustrated in the stands because I was in the game as we have previously shared. Well, that photographer, Tony Murano, he got trucked pretty bad, got hit, right? And it was about maybe 20 minutes of downtime. So yeah, the Renegades got off to a good start and the defenders weren't doing good. And then it just also kept them cold. Right. I mean, so everything came to a halt. I want to commend the XFL and I want to commend ESPN or ABC in this case, right? Because it's all ESPN on ABC. Because between the two, they did not rush this game because he wasn't anywhere near the field of play. I guess you could have argued that they could have played the game. I think it was a class act not to. And I'll share another thing that was a class act because I I haven't seen the broadcast because I got back yesterday. And I haven't had a chance to watch it uh, again, the replay on ESPN plus. So I don't know what they showed on the broadcast, but class act of the DC defender players that got and took a knee. And I, so I don't know if that was on the broadcast or not because yes, you're supposed to be focused on football and you'd be doing a million things. And the renegade players did continue to keep themselves moving and whatnot. And so they didn't come over and take a knee, but class act by the defenders for doing that. But there could be a couple things, right, that also impact why they didn't kind of get right back in the swing. But at one point, they did look like they were going to get back into it. So there would be maybe an argument there. But I think it would have been the wrong thing to do. If we talk about innovation and player safety, well, why wouldn't we also take the safety of somebody that's there to cover it, whether it's a photographer or not? I mean, I think it was the right thing to do. I mean, I just wanted to take the moment. And it sounds like there was a tweet that came out. That some people are sharing that uh, the photographer Tony Murano is doing better today after taking the hit at the, in the championship game that he was released from the hospital and the x-rays and scans were all negative, but does have some, does have a minor concussion. So it's good to hear that nothing major came with it. It's unfortunate that he did have a concussion and still dealing with that, but um, you know, best of wishes to Tony and uh, on his recovery, but it, now to kind of get back into the football thing, I, I just, if you have something you want to say yeah. about it, by all means do, I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. And we're, Thank goodness he's he's doing well, right? My wife did see it, and I didn't see it live, right? I just knew he got kind of pushed, but my wife said he hit his head pretty hard, and she was she was pretty concerned about it. The network did a good job of not really they would kind of talk about it just slightly. They didn't really show it, okay, which is smart, okay, you don't want to do that. I mean, obviously you can get see segments of it on social media all over the place. And I think they even ran a long bit of a long promo on player 54, the, the hard knocks of XFL, right? You know what I mean? The the show. Yes. 
So I think they ran like a little bit of an extra long pro on that. So whoever pivoted to that did a nice, but yeah, it was a long wait. And I was just like, wow, he must've really, and my wife was like, yeah, he really took a, took a shot. You know, as a player, the player was who ran into him. I, I, I can't remember who it is, but he seemed, he was very concerned right away. Um, because, you know, people told him to kind of, you know, Hey, go, go back to the game. And he, he kind of turned her back around and was like, well, wait a second, check on this guy. And, and so he was very concerned. There is nothing worse than being on that sideline and taking, getting those guys coming at you because there's people behind you. There's you, you're standing still. They, you know, I've been undercut and taken out by my legs a couple of times, you know, whether I was coaching either youth football or, or college. And as I got older, I just, I got the hell out of the way. You, you got out of the way faster, but as a photographer, you're trying to take pictures and get a nice shot of something that's happening right in front of you. So you're not moving. So that guy, he got, he got hit pretty hard. So it's very, um, I'm reassuring that he's doing well and I'm glad that people on social media are keeping us updated on that. So, but they did a nice job and, and the TV crew did a nice job and they showed them kind of come off and, and yeah, they showed the guys kneeling and the, you know, there was some genuine concern there. So, uh, you know, I know sometimes, you know, it's just, you've got to acknowledge the important things in life. I know we're here talking about a football game, but that was a pretty big moment, you know, 20 minutes of downtown time or so. So, but we'll we'll kind of get right into it. So we can get into some of these numbers, right? Because I was talking about in the lead up that balance, Devion Smith was going to need to, you know, essentially deliver to give Perez that ability to make some smart plays, right? Have some, buy him some time and keep the defense in check because they would throw the house, you know, if they knew they were just going to pass all the time. But it kind of kept them focus because Devion Smith actually had 15 carries for 54 yards, an average of 3.6. He didn't have a touchdown. His long was 14 on the day. But even if you look at Brown, another 32 yards rushing, but he had the rushing touchdown along a seven. And then, you know, Kelly Bryant, I think was the surprise for me, the inclusion. We had discussed in the lead up to this, how the league had decided to let each team dress all 51 players for this game. And I think that depth was beneficial that really give Bryant an opportunity here to come in. And I know he only had four rushes. He didn't throw the ball. He was involved in it one way or another, you know what I'm saying? And it threw in just enough that wait, what else is going on here? You know, I think it kind of caught DC off. They weren't expecting that. They could just Kelly Bryant kind of went in and kind of do that. Cause even Luis himself, this is going to sound crazy. It's six, carries now people you know that doesn't always mean they were designed runs okay but let's so let's take he had 10 yards but as long was a 12 okay so take that for what it's worth people that those other carries weren't true carries but Luis Perez ran for 12 yards on a play if you don't think that didn't have this rushing combined rushing of 111 yards didn't have DC kind of rethinking their approach yeah, I, I think there's a lot here that went in. It wasn't just time possession. I think they were kind of not expecting that balance, in the, which I know not to sit here and, yes, I'm tooting my horn in a way, not my soapbox. But I knew this is what was they were going to need. Without it, I didn't think they had a chance. 
I think that they did get some good balance out of it. And that that would definitely was needed. And they just got enough, right? They didn't get it overly, but they just got enough of it where DC had to start respecting it a little bit more. And Letty Brown, you know, it was awesome to see him score a touchdown because, you know, they, they, and then they told the story about his dad and that was just, that was good. That was good TV. Right. Like, and, and I'm sorry, you know, that you, you lost your father. I mean, but it's great that you're playing in his honor and you remember what he said to you. And, and um, you know, so keep on, keep on going, buddy. You know what I mean? Like I, I want to encourage that guy all day. So it was nice to see that because Devion Smith did go out a little bit. And I think the little wrinkle was like, Hey, if, if we can play all 54 players, we got a little bit of a, you know, we can run some quarterback runs now with, with Kelly Bryant and another good coaching decision. Like who thinks of that? Right. Like usually typically you're, unless you have Taysom Hill as your, your third quarterback or your backup quarterback, you're not really thinking of using them. Right. And they did and they utilized that. So th- that was good. And I think that kept in the red zone. It gave them that plus one run that I, I talk about a lot of times in the red zone and, and down by the goal line that can help a lot. At the same time, you know, a lot of times I want to see Luis in there because he was playing just so well. You're like, why are they taking him out? But I can see why they can generate a little bit of a run offense with them then, right? That you didn't have. And then when Devion got hurt, okay, hey, let's let's use them here and try and run the ball. So great move by them on that part to be able to do that. And as a backfield, they had a good day, right? They didn't have a great day, but they had a good day. So you'd give them like a, what, a B, B plus, you know, and they had a good day, right? That, you know, B plus to me, that's a good grade. That's a good grade, right? You know, it's not an A, you know, it's not great, but it's good. And sometimes especially when somebody else is playing their A game or A-plus game in Luis Perez, right? That's all you need out of a, a segment. Who I really want to give credit to are two two units on that team, right? Like the offensive line improved immensely over the year. That is the hardest thing in these le- in the spring leagues right now to figure out, right? I mean, finding big people who can stop. Sometimes also that renegade's defense was just they locked it down now they gave up a big run they got caught you know on a fourth and one and abram was able to to see that but they played very solidly throughout the game and were able to really kind of keep the defenders running attack i know that abram smith had 90 yards i mean there was a 50 you know half more than half of that was one carry massive play there. You know, and Jordan, you know, Jordan still was averaging six yards a carry. So they were, they could run the ball a little bit, but the RPO was telling them to to throw it, right? And he got caught getting some some balls tipped and batted around. And, and then when he does throw a perfect pass, unfortunately, you know, Blair dropped it, you know? <laughs> and typically those were the plays they were making throughout the year. So a lot of times you're like one or two plays, you might lose by 20 points and you're, you look at it and it's like, oh man, you know, we were, you know, two drops and an interception, you know, away from 
winning this game. We didn't really play that bad. It was only three bad plays that happened to us, you know, and, and I feel like that's kind of what happened at DC. The time you see momentum, something happened and you were just waiting for it. <laughs> you were waiting for it. Like you're waiting for the Brahmas to actually get going, right? The score, <laughs> you know, when you're watching San Antonio play, but you know, it was great to see a, a championship game on for the XFL and to both have Danny and Dwayne Narock Johnson there and do the trophy presentations and talk to people before the game and things like that. That was good. That's big too. And I think that, you know, they're going to take the next step here. I'm very pleased the overall quality of play of the league. You know, I think that they did a very good job of trying to turn over every rock they could to find players. And they're going to continue to do that with the showcases, right? And things like that. And now you're seeing the NFL. You saw a lot of the camp invites come via Instagram and Twitter and things like that. And that's great that the league is promoting that. And now you're starting, because it is May 15th, you're starting to see the signings. Okay. The 11. NFL signings from the XFL, yeah. On the day one that, you know, so there could be a lot, there could be more. Now, let's clarify, that doesn't mean they've made the team or anything like that, but it doesn't do this. It does get them an invite to training camp, okay, where they can get more reps with a professional football team. They can learn another offense, okay, so they can learn more about football and learn more terminology and learn more things like that. And they get paid a little bit while they're in training camp, right? I mean, it, it's not huge money, right? We're not talking millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars, but for these guys who are making, you know, the 60, 65,000, you know, maybe a, a little bit more over that, you know, making a thousand bucks a week for three weeks. Now, now you've just made, let's say you made, you know, 63,000. Now you're up to 66 for the year. Then all of a sudden you get signed to a practice squad. And now you're up to, you know, something for the year and then you you know maybe you go back to the xfl and play you could make a career doing that playing football and maybe you get into a few uh nfl games there are going to be a few couple guys i do believe this that are going to break out in the nfl i think there'll be at least one i'm going to predict two you're going to be two guys that Made it, you know, went to the XFL, played well, going to get signed, going to make a team and then have an impact on their team where we're going to hear their name and we're going to hear played in the XFL in 2023. And I think that's going to be great for the league. So we're seeing the benefit of the February to May schedule, right? And those guys getting rookie camp invites and getting reps during practice. I think I saw Jacor Pearson rep now everybody's like he's burning nfl and he's burning rookies that are at the rookie camp and things like that so let's not get too excited it's great to see but again he's not burning you know you know the best corners in the league you know <laughs> so but he i think he's going to do well in the league and i think he's going to play a good role for somebody this year so that is great to see so i'm hoping that we continue to see that and that's going to come with to me, good offensive line play makes good football. So as long as they can continue to find and good quarterback play, but that comes with what? Good offensive line play. So happy to see the results after 
the season here and uh, the impact that the XFL is having on the football ecosystem, as Danny would say. I would like to kind of go back to the offensive line thing here a little bit. You were talking about the Renegades offensive line and what we had seen for most of the regular season. And then what we had just seen in the championship game, or let's even say maybe against Houston in the divisional championship game. I think a lot of teams should really, really take note here because they didn't go and trade for an entire new offensive line. I think there's something that the Vipers, the Brahmas, the Guardians teams that were having some offensive line issues, right? If you're the teams that weren't getting the players on the all XFL team, like we talk about the Northern teams were the ones getting the players on there. I think pull out your notebook. What do we just see? I did catch some on social media some players talking when they were interviewed. So I didn't catch the game and I'm looking forward to it because I, I can't wait to see what other interviews and responses I get, you know, to, to learn about that. I'm a little lacking right now, but I saw the Sal Canella's interview where he had said that Luis's trade. And it wasn't that we got Luis Perez. All of a sudden now we're a new team. It wasn't like this thought just because they traded for Luis, but Luis getting into that locker room and his mindset, his personality, his commitment changed everything. They said offense, defense, what I'm catching more and more like from people. That's infectious in a very positive way. Like you gotta find who these people I'm I'm not saying Luis Perez. You can just clone him and have on every team. I understand that. Like I'm not trying to just think, hey, there's somebody. But tells you that it's not necessarily just the player. What is the approach? What is the environment that they're playing in? Because it obviously changed with just Luis coming in in a few short weeks. They won it all. They went six and six. Anyone that said there was a losing team that won this championship is full of it. They had a losing record during the regular season. They finished 500. So I want to take that talking point while I have the moment while we're talking about you can shove it where the sun doesn't shine, people. I'm done with that because it's a 500 team won it. All right. So um, done. If they were on the losing record side of it at the end of the season, okay. It was a different team after that trade. Trades happen. They make impacts if you get the right player, and it happened on this team. So it changed that offensive line that we kept saying all year long, well, maybe it's you know the offensive play call. Maybe it's just the offensive line in general. Well, apparently Luis Perez was able to change that just by coming in. He clearly didn't have the ins and outs of the playbook. How some of these other guys had with four or five weeks of training camp and then four or five weeks of the regular season. But Luis was able to come in trying to figure out and still motivate the team and pull them together. I think there's a lot of credit to be had there. It's I think that you can't harp on who they were earlier in the season because of such a short training camps. Anyway, we knew there's going to be some teams that are just going to be behind the eight ball coming out. It is impressive, though, that a team that averaged less than 15 points a game came out and scored 30-some points and won a championship. Again, we could talk about statistics and we can dive into a million different things, but when I would look down at this whole game, those are Renegades won a majority of those categories, and you can pick and choose, but there's a few of the defenders did. But, I'm, again, what a difference if you get the right people in there and that are positive 
That's really what it is. Positive outcome because the guy that came in was just super positive. I'll just stop. Give me an opportunity. I kind of went on a rant and I could keep going, but I'm just, uh, I'll just stop. I I see you here at the floor. That's all right. That's all right. I go on them all the time. So let's address the Perez factor. Okay. We're going to call it the Perez factor. All right. Here's a guy that we know we all liked, right? All of us podcasters, all of us bringing alternative football people just love this guy, right? Because he just keeps coming back. When you think he's dead, he comes back again. Okay. And then there's something, there's a reason why, you know, people do talk about intangibles, right? In the NFL, right? And if two peoples are equal, they're going to take the person with the intangibles. There's a reason why companies sometimes don't hire for skill set. They hire for character and attitude. You know, they try to evaluate that and feel they can train the skill set to those people because they want that type of attitude. So he, I call it a lot of times the glue in Luis Perez was the glue that just brought everybody together and and kept them together. And he where his mouth was, he probably in at practice. Like I've told you, and I've said many times on this podcast, the players know, like they know who should be, Starting, they should know who has got that it factor a little bit. So he probably came into practice and was just hitting. He's a very, he's an accurate quarterback, right? And he's got average arm strength, but he's able to hit people on the deep, you know, and he can throw crossing routes. He just proved that, right? <laughs> Sometimes people can't throw those. So he probably came in and started throwing the ball a little bit and just was like, here we go, here we go, here we go. And then was able to grasp the offense. What I love about Luis Perez was the the little video of his family running routes for him. Not running. They were kind of walking or jogging, right? But they were going through plays with him so he could learn the offense better. That is commitment. That is having a group of people behind you that believe in you. So when you have that, you're going to have a positive attitude. And I think people saw that. Like, and just like us going, oh my God, that is amazing that they're doing that. And oh my God, Luis, that's genius. Right. And then he shows you how to do the poker chips. Right. He showed that on one of the show uh, 54, right. You know, you label the poker chips and then you run them through stuff. You know, I used to sit here with a whiteboard and erase it and then draw everything and then call, you know, read a play call and then draw it up. Right. To learn offenses. So. He's got that, and people saw that, and I think they gravitated towards that. And he's another guy that can make for the right situation, right? He makes everybody just a little bit better. So the uh, the ball gets out a little bit quicker, or he takes a hit, but the pass is right on. I always say Luis is going to have the one boneheaded play. He had the one boneheaded play, right? He had the fumble, right? It was it was weird. Kind of Did he hit, have just he, one though? I yeah. mean, I mean, I mean, he, I he think so he got accurate. lucky on one completion that probably should have been an interception. Well, but know. lucky does fall on some people's side sometimes. So I mean, I when I watched that live and I saw the replay, I was like, man, luck was definitely on his side. But like that would have been early, and that could have just swayed the game the other way, right from the get go. But I mean, again, luck was on his side. And the statistics don't show that. So 
it is what it is. But is it, I mean, man, I, I that was a very questionable. It worked in his favor. Sometimes yeah. you just take a yeah. shot at it for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, luck. What do they say? Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So, sure. you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> you know, so he, I mean, he played two back-to-back phenomenal games, right? When when you bring up, hey, they had a regular season losing record, they still made the playoffs, okay? They earned their right to that with the playoffs and how they're set up. These are the rules of the game, okay? You don't get to change the rules of the game just because you don't like who got there or how they got there, okay? Yeah, we tell our kids that all the time, right? You don't get to do that. So we don't get to do that as fans. They played like a championship team for two games. If they played like that all year long, they're probably eight and two, nine and one, seven and three at the worst. So they just could not get the quarterback right. How many NFL teams do you see that happen with, right? They just can't get it right. No matter what they touch, they just can't get it right. I mean, John Elway, Hall of Fame quarterback himself, right? He really couldn't get it right until Peyton Manning walked in his door. Right. And who's not going to take Peyton Manning? Right. So it's hard to get that right. The other thing is, is we're seeing this in another professional sport a little bit. Now it's not a losing record, but in the NBA right now, the Los Angeles Lakers who had to play a play in game to get to the seven seed in the NBA playoffs are now in the Western conference final. Now I don't watch the NBA a lot, but I know it's happening. Because I was like, what, what the Lakers, uh, what happened? I thought they were doing terrible. Right. So you look at the Lakers and like, I keep saying it's better to get hot late than it is early. So now let's say that we play a 17 game XFL season. Let's have some fun. Okay. This is speculation. Okay. But let, let's say that, right. They start out four and six. Let's say they go on a run for the next seven games and they they go 10 and seven make the playoffs and win the super bowl the green bay packers did it back in 2010 you know we're not crying then right so i'm just glad that arlington was playing their best football during the playoffs and during the championship game where a lot of eyes are going to be on these games right so I'm happy that they played well during those games because it's good football to watch when teams are playing well, right? And if they were playing like they were earlier in the year and still kind of just clunking those wins by like 12 to 10 and things like that, it wouldn't have been good football to watch. So I'm grateful that they got hot and went. And they doubted everybody. It's one of the biggest upsets in probably, you know, in sports history. If you if you really look at it, eight and a half points. And Vegas doesn't do things, but you just had this little feeling that they were due and DC was kind of due for kind of struggle. But I don't think it was DC. It wasn't all DC not playing well. It was the Renegades defense playing really well and their offense playing really well. And like I said, I think if like that all year long, there's no, there's no debate on who some of the best teams were than in the league. So I'm just glad we had a competitive game, right? We It got close, and then they pull away, and then they got close, and they pulled away. There were some big explosive plays. There were some exciting plays. So I was glad to see that, and 
So you finally saw some emotion then also come out of Reggie Barlow. You know, the kick went uh, out of bounds after they were, after they got a big play. And that is an extreme penalty, by the way. Uh, plus 45, that is, that is a big penalty, but they want that ball returned and you got to put it in that box. And that box is big enough for a professional kicker to, to do. So, so you kind of saw that a little bit as well as Greg Williams, you know, he got interviewed and saying, Hey, our guys are just, they're, they're yapping too much, you know, and, and we need to focus. And then third down too. I, I failed to mention this on the first recap, the third down Arlington's third down conversion rate was unbelievable. It was 73%, just over 73%. I mean, that's phenomenal. You're going to win a lot of games on third, you know, if you can do that on third down. And they just held the ball. They just, you keep, keep away. You know, the other team can't really score if you're holding the ball. You know, like I said, they did great. So it was fun to watch. You saw a lot of different things happen this week. So it was good. I was in the end zone. I don't know who may have seen on social media because I posted a picture, uh, kind of a selfie, which I don't like to do those, but unfortunately, sometimes it's what you have to do, right? So I was a selfie. I was in the end zone, a couple rows up behind the um, the defenders painted end zone. And obviously there was fans from every team there. Everyone was happy to wear their apparel or own a self-made getup in support of their team, even if they weren't there playing. And everyone was talking about, this is Arlington's game. Everyone's that I was around in my whole area, regardless of what fan they were, we're talking about how, Arlington's winning this. Arlington is putting any doubt to bed. They heard enough of this. We're a losing team. We're this and that. I agree. I think they got fueled up and they're just like, you know, we're coming out to play. And it may be DC. Uh, and I'll share this because, you know, I, we haven't, we were going to dive into it right away, but I'll give it. I flew in Saturday morning and I had my lift drop me off right one of the entry points to the Riverwalk. I did first run into another show host and co-host and whatnot, but I won't get into all that. If they want to talk about all that stuff, that's a, I mean, a lot of people, people, but you want to know what players I saw the most walking around the city, DC defender players. Maybe they just felt like they had to take it in. You know who I didn't see any of the renegade players. And I'll I'll give you a good idea how much I walked. I was telling Mark before we got started, my legs hurt, people. I'm a 43-year-old man, and my body's telling me I'm not active enough, right? Because I walked the river walk so much. I walked downtown so much going to the Alamo and to my hotel. Because once I got there, I walked everything. I walked from my hotel to the Alamo Dome and back with my backpack, with my equipment, whatever I was trying to take, that things obviously did not work out. We'll get into that later on. But um, people, I wonder how much that may have impacted things. But Arlington came to play, and that was their focus. So uh, from what I saw, that's all I can take from this. So am I shocked how this played out? No. The people that were in attendance probably saw the same things I saw around the city. They saw defender players out. And they weren't seeing Arlington players. And they're like, this Arlington game, our team came to play, and they came to put shut everybody up. 
What is interesting, though, from what I see on social media, since I've been home, I even see a certain sportscaster or whatever, I won't get into it, that's a graduate from Syracuse University, and is out in Indiana, so if anyone can pick up what I'm laying down and figure it out, good for you, but I I won't say his name, said that this was a scripted outcome by a Mickey Mouse League. So if anyone's seen that tweet coming out there, okay. Go ahead and tell me you don't know what you're talking about without telling me you don't know what you're talking about. That tweet 100% did it. Clearly, he didn't follow this league. Clearly, he doesn't understand how things work in sports. And I don't have to play football to understand that trades and the right trades make differences. And I can tell you that you don't script that boneheaded throw that worked in Luis Luis Perez's favor because the way that ball was coming out, I'm just telling you, it worked for whatever reason. The belief, the whole approach. I can see why Arlington won this. I 100% can see how Arlington won it. And for my own benefit, because this is one of the teams I picked to be in the championship and win it, thank the Lord, man. And I'm not going to go on a whole religious right here. But it worked out. This team wasn't as bad as we for whatever the majority of us thought they were. They were not a bad team. They were always needed something, and they got it late in the season, week seven, with Luis Perez. And it just took a little bit to put it together. They did luck out that the other two teams in the division weren't good enough to really challenge them for it. So let's be fair there. But that just bought them the time they needed to come together. And we had discussed the off week, right? So we'll just kind of come up to that. I think that also helped prepare in, you know, health. We had discussed how that was going to help the the league be super healthy. uh, All the players be super healthy for the championship game. You want your stars to be what stars you do have. You want them to be available and be able to make an impact. I think that's all they needed was the more time. Now, did the league know that they were going to trade for Luis Perez and they're going to be in this position and they needed the extra week to come on, come on, come on. Anyone that really thinks this is a rigged situation, this is my soapbox. I'm taking it again. Yes. When you're a host of a show, sometimes you can just do that folks. I'm just going to say, I just have to put it out there. Anyone in the seats could see it for what it really was. And those that weren't there, and I'm not saying everybody, there seems to be a lot of clamoring of, yeah, it's just whatever, fake, scripted. I, I don't know how much you're seeing that, Mark, but I've seen a lot of it. It just, you know what? They don't know what they're talking about. Well, first of all, we'll address some other things. Yeah, the Arlington definitely had more bulletin board material, right? Uh, the defenders, sometimes you, um, there's a couple ways to, to go about that. You know, however the teams choose, to spend their time while they're there is up to them. I don't think that really matters a lot of times because I've seen really kind of loose atmospheres and kids come out and play well. And I've seen really tight, you know, where we're really on the kids and they don't, but typically, yeah, you think that Arlington had a lot more to prove, right. And they, they wanted to play really well. And, and, they did like they were a good football team. All right. That defense has been around all year and they showed it and they just needed one last piece and they got it. And addressing anybody who, who says that things are scripted. Well, first of all, 
thank you to that reporter, whoever said that, because the same thing said about the NFL. So you're saying that the professional league is going to work because the same thing said about the NFL. I see it more on social media about the NFL. <laughs> there isn't anybody like uh, I, I've mentioned it before. I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, right? Like if you think things are scripted, the Packers would be in the Super Bowl every other year. You know why? People watch the Packers. Dallas would be in the Super Bowl every other year. Dallas Cowboy fans are all over the place. They're two of the best draws there are. And why are the professional leagues scripted and not college? And why are the colleges not script or the professional leagues scripted, but not high school or youth? Because I've never been in a game that's been that I was told that we needed to lay down or we needed the time, the perfect over the finger pass or miss tip it just by that much. You think this is scripted? You're an idiot. You think the NFL is scripted? You're a bigger idiot. Okay. And so that guy has, no, he's just trying to get clicks. Talk about Mickey Mouse. He's the Mickey Mouse. Like, you know, and no offense, Disney. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just some, somebody who thinks they, they know better than everybody else. Right. Okay. And if you can get 102 players, referees and coaches all the, and script something good luck now there are some things that are scripted okay right like i believe wrestling might be scripted there's two there's three people in the ring there might be four or five that's easy okay like <laughs> you're you're insulting the game of football if you call it scripted and for that like i said you're you're an idiot and, you know, don't watch it then. We don't need you. We want fans, reporters, podcast creators. And I know sometimes I'm critical of the league, but I'm very supportive of the league too. I watch it every, I tweet about it. I, a lot of their tweets, I go to Instagram. I like a lot of that. I go to Facebook. I like a lot of that. I retweet, I repost things. I promote the league. Now I'm just nobody. So, I believe a block at a time is how you build something, you know? And when it comes to a football league, it's one literal neighborhood block at a time, right? That you're going to build this. So we want people that have a good attitude about this. We don't want people who don't. And you can call us whatever you want. Call the league whatever you want, but you know what? Just go away. We don't want you. If you don't like football, don't watch it. Go watch another sport. If you think it's scripted, go watch something else. You don't have to write about it. I feel that yourself, myself a little bit, some other podcasters and some media people have the right to be slightly critical. I was just critical about the league and some of the players, right? I called them. I basically called some of them immature, but I want to see it grow and I want that to happen. So I'm trying to, you know, promote it. So 
percent of my content is positive and the other one percent is going to be critical so if you got that to say about it again we don't need you go somewhere else and go to baseball go watch that because you know we're trying to build something here and if you're not part of it just get out of our way period yeah, I went on a rant and I, I took you there with me. So I apologize. People. I'm sorry and, about that uh, too, but, but I just, I don't get it. Like yeah. if you don't like something, don't watch it. Right. Like you don't have to write negative things about it because you didn't like it. Right. Like so much out there to focus on the one thing that you want to bash for whatever it is, whether it's sports or music, but ah, come on, people, there's just so much. Just come on, find some things to better do with your time but anyway speaking of better to do with our time since we're here together how about the uh championship game mvp obviously luis perez was named the mvp of the xl championship game your thoughts on luis getting it who else was gonna get it like it's a no-brainer <laughs> right <laughs> like i mean we all knew he was gonna you know if they weren't naming him there might have been a there'd be an xfl you know but then we would call it a Mickey, you know, mostly like, we, you know, you, you know, when you know, right. And he deserves it. I mean, it is not an, the thing about the MVP, right. It is not a season award. It is the game, you know, who played best in the game and he played the best. And through the statistics, I don't know, you know who else you could even, have really considered of that team. Like, I mean, you take him out of it and maybe they play better, you know, or maybe they play half as good. But like I said, he, he can hit those crossing routes and he was so accurate and he did a great job. He's, he had a command of that offense and being there in a short amount of time, it's impressive. So no doubt he deserves it, you know, and I want to see him get that opportunity for 10 games. Like, I feel like I haven't, you know, he may have with the generals in the USFL, but he was sharing time with somebody. I want Luis Perez to get 10 games once and, and let's, you know, they're going to be two clunkers in there at least. Okay. But everybody has a bad game. Even Aaron Rodgers has bad games. Okay. So they're going to be some clunkers in there, but he, he took them to another level and, he, he took that game over. Like if, if he's not in that game, like I always think the MVP, if they didn't play, would they have played as good or would they, would they have won? Right. Same thing with like an award for the season. You take that player out. Is that team still good? And you take him out and he, we know what they are. <laughs> so, so yeah, no brainer there and good to see, happy to see it. Great story. Right. So a lot to write about, a lot to build on. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, I know everybody in our podcast world is doing their due diligence on writing a nice article about Luis because we're all, we were all rooting for him, right? The story's just a really good story. Division two guy. I mean, I, I like to see that too. Don't be surprised if he winds up in a camp. Okay. but. For an arm, you know what I mean? And and then, you know, maybe he's back. But I, he embraces these leagues. 
And if we can find more players like that, you're going to have a guy like that be a name in this league, right? He's going to be the guy that's there every year. And, and that's what these leagues need a little bit is that those guys. So I, I commend him a lot. He's been through a lot. And um, so hopefully he can keep it going. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm hoping that he comes back next year and, and can, um, you know, lead this team and get 10 games. Someone's, you know, barring knock on wood, any injury or anything like that, but, you know, get 10 games under your belt, be the starter, be the guy, not some guy behind you chasing you or anything like that, knowing that you're the guy. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but very happy for him and uh, well-deserved. Yeah, I'm happy. The guy that obviously got it right. There was nobody else to give it to. I think he's been proving it all along. I mean, this game is just more you know, proof of the pudding right there. What more does a team want? Maybe the National Football League's not the right place for him. Yeah, he'd probably get a shot at another camp because he's doing enough and he's got a good outlook, right? And that might just rub off on guys in camp. And But, man, just give him the offense. And I know development leagues are meant for everybody that's on the roster to develop in some way. But, I mean, I was a fearful when I first saw Bryant come in. I'm like, oh, they're going to ruin this for Luis. I mean, so, you went and traded for the guy, and I thought, but in the end, they didn't, right? They just kind of added another dynamic, not a ton of it, but enough. And I'm like, I'm glad that he ultimately shined despite that happening, despite the change in the season. And, uh, you know, it got at the very end of the game, I don't, I don't know if it was on the broadcast, but I saw some videos on social media since. I'm just him and his girls out there doing confetti angels. And I mean, you know what? Live it up, Luis. You deserved it. 100%. Man, I'm, I'm so happy for him. I don't never talk to him personally, never met him, but I mean, I'm just so happy for, you know, the journey that he's had and the opportunities he's had, even though it hasn't always gone perfect, but this was the perfect outcome. And I'm glad he had the opportunity to do that and share it with his family. So that's really cool. Michael, let's, let's touch on a, a word you use here a little bit. Okay. Um, developmental, you know, in, in league, I don't consider this a developmental league. Okay. Now these guys can go to the NFL and that's the, that's the draw to this league, right? That's how you're going to get good players in this league is okay. I can go get some reps. I can get some film and then maybe I can latch onto an NFL team. And so, yeah, in sense, they're developing. Now, I know Anthony Beck at the you know preseason said, hey, I'd be happy if all my guys went to the NFL. And that's great promotion for the league, right? The league itself even knows that. So as you're building this, that is great. Now, here's the thing. It's always going to be NFL is tier one, right? We've got tier two, which is probably the XFL, USFL, and CFL. Okay, and you can probably rate those the way you want to as well. But let's let's just kind of group them together a little bit. So they're always kind of going to be a tier two league. But at the same time, we're a football hungry nation. We're a country that's obsessed with this sport. Okay, so people can't get enough of it. Now, are they going to want it in February through September, you know, or July? Sorry, I don't know. That's going to play itself out. Okay. And there are people that have a lot more money and a lot more data and a lot more better advisors than me to, to figure that out. But to me, it's a professional football league. 
And a lot of these players are probably going to come back next year. They're going to go to a camp. They're going to get some camp reps. They're going to latch on. Some will latch onto a practice squad. A couple of them will sign contracts, right? And then they'll make that decision. Okay, what do I want to do in the, you know, do I want to sign a futures deal with the NFL or do I want to actually go play football, you know, and make some money doing it? So I think what you'll see is some of them coming back. Okay. And I think that's important because I think they have a good product and I think they have to keep developing that product. So we'll see how the, they do a draft. We'll have to see how they do that. I mean, I've got my opinions on how they should do that, but at the same time, there might be other people that come back and say, Hey, the one thing I don't want the league and and you're right as developmental, I don't want it to be for aging, you know, and, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I shouldn't say aging. I should say, you know, end of career, a guy in the NFL plays, you know, 10 years. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets cut and can't catch on. Maybe he's got some nagging injuries and then he comes to the XFL and plays and doesn't really perform too well. I don't want it to be that right. It's always going to be a little bit of a younger league as well. So plus the, the person's not going to make the money they, they made in the NFL. So I don't think it'll turn into that, but we don't, you know, that's the one thing I don't want to see too much of. Um, I know there's a little bit of, you know, of, of some of that, but at the same time, it's a professional football league and they can go play their professional game. But I'm hoping we see a lot of these guys back, not because they failed in the NFL. I'm hoping they get their chances and go but just for continuity and and for the quality of play that they all put together this year, I think that'd be great to see. I mean, think of Jack Cohn right now. Jack Cohn gets a rookie mini camp. He gets to go up, throw some balls, learn new offense. He, you know, he was basically a rookie quarterback for the Brahmas, right? Never took an NFL snap. He was in a training camp, right? So he got a little bit of some reps there a little bit, but now he goes to mini camp and he gets to throw that around. That's valuable to him, right? That's huge to him. Now I can come back and be like, okay, this I've saw some more things. I see some more things. I can see some things more clearly. And that's where these players improve and the league gets better and the quality of play gets better. So I don't want to call it a developmental league because I don't ever want these guys to to be that. I don't think Bob Stoops really took this as like, hey, I want all my guys. Bob Stoops wanted to win a championship. And that's what I want these head coaches to want. Terrell Buckley, I think he wants to win a championship. Like Heinz Ward, like all those, the four teams that did not make the playoffs, those head coaches, they want to win championships. They want to be winners, you know? So I think the focus should be on winning games. And if you develop players in the meantime, that's a great byproduct of great play. I'll just put my asterisk of why I said development. Only because Dwayne The Rock Johnson had said it several times before the season ever kicked off, right? So who am I not to call a developmental league if Dwayne The Rock Johnson, one of the owners, claims that's what it's here? And in some way, they are trying to help these people fine-tune something, I get it, to make that next step and to achieve their dream. So that's why I used it. I don't and, think uh, I don't think guys like Vic Beasley is here to develop anything. I think he was already an all pro. I think Philip Lindsay was already an all pro. They might just have to figure some things out within themselves. I don't think it's actually the football aspect. If they were there and able to do it once, 
I think that's what it is. But I also do think that there is some developmenting of personalities, as we had talked about, maybe being immature or not letting your emotions uh, get the best of you. And I have mentioned that multiple times about emotions. I'm not, I don't care for it as much. I understand you're going to be happy. You're going to be um, disappointed with certain calls. But I do think there's a level of professionalism if you're going to be a professional and get a paycheck for it that you have to bring. I don't think I can go into my nine to five gig here Monday through Friday people and wear my emotions on the sleeves that these players do all the time. And you better believe that everything is not always a better roses when you're talking about safety, when I'm in my realm or what I do for a living, when you're talking about places that have had a fatality before, right. And you're talking about people's lives and I'm not trying to go so doom and gloom, but when you've worked in the lumber industry, like I have, and somebody has lost a life or people lose limbs, you know, with amputations because of different things. You tell me that emotions are not a part of it, but you can't act the way that some of these players do when somebody's not responding the way you want them to, even though you kind of feel like you should probably say something or respond a little bit different because you feel like you're not getting your point across. But the reality is sometimes professionalism is still required because without it you may lose whatever impact you truly can make you need buy-in 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 and results and that's what it comes down to regardless of what it is so i share that a little bit because yes these guys probably do need to develop their character a little bit more in some not all yeah and and you know typically we just see the we see the stuff we don't like more than we see the stuff we like right so uh, you know, so it's hard to to kind of see the things you like in, in that regard. Now, when when The Rock calls it a developmental league and things like that, I understand why they call it that, right? Because they have to market it to players and they need good players to come to them. So it's just like marketing, you know, again, I'm a headhunter, right, for a living. So it's like marketing a job to somebody. They want some place where they can grow and advance and go things. So recruitment-wise... Yeah, you're going to you're going to say that that it's, you know, hey, we're we're develop, we can develop you to to get you to the NFL. And I see it, it going pretty well so far for for them. Hopefully it continues. I think as you see camp start and you see injuries mount up, you're going to see more and more people in the NFL. You're going to see more and more people, uh more XFL players get signed, which is great. But again, like it's hard to find when you what you got sometimes in you know, so you really want to hang on to those guys and, and hope that they, if they don't latch on or don't sign a futures deal or don't make an NFL team, that they're willing to come back. So you got to give them a good experience for that. So I'd be interested to see what kind of experience these players had at Arlington, you know, in, in that hub, um, you know, because the hub, that hub isn't going anywhere, anywhere soon. So whatever they do, that saves them so much money. <laughs> and the one thing that I read too, as well, Danny Garcia said for the content creation, it is nice to have them kind of all in one city, right? You don't need two or three crews then going to city to city. You can have one crew just kind of there. So I think that'll continue. What we'd like to see, I, I think as, a, as fans, I, I guess I'm, I'm going to go on to what I'd like to see a little bit, but, I guess what I'd like to see is a little bit more marketing on the ground and getting people in the stands. And I think that'll come. I think that'll come They're They're getting the big dollars first, right? Got to get the TV, got to get the sponsors, got to get that stuff in. And then 
you know, they'll, they'll start getting the ground a little bit more in the markets. And I think they'll have people in the markets a little bit more and they'll fly more players in and out. Now it'd be great if Ben DiNucci was back or, you know, AJ McCarron was back so that they can go and do those events and really, really kind of sell some things. But, you know, they need to be at high school games. They need to, you know, they need a booth at every event that's going on in town to sell season tickets. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. But yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the season. I thought it was great. I'm so happy that we got a completed season, right? I think we should be, everybody should be popping a little, everybody who is involved in this league or talks about this league or tweets about this league or does a podcast about this league should pop a little champagne or at least have a pop a beer and say, Hey, we got through one. Now let's get, let's get through number two. And I think that's what the league is saying. So. Pop that bubbly one way or another, even if it happens to be carbonated. Okay. Well, Mark, you know, it has been a pleasure previewing, reviewing the entire 2023 XFL season with you. It really has. You and I did not know each other, and we just, I on a limb, just went for it, reached out to you. I'm glad that you uh, accepted. You were intrigued enough and interested enough to come on 14 different times. So uh, I think that's a big kudos and a big thank you to you. If no one else is going to say it, I'm going to say it. Because uh, I definitely think you added a huge dynamic to this show that I wouldn't have been able to bring personally. And you definitely helped me not have to do as much work finding guests. You really did. You don't believe it or not. <laughs> well, thank you. My, it's, been a pl- it's been a pleasure. And, you know, again, I, I'll say thank you for reaching out and being flexible with me throughout the year, too, as well, a little bit. And thank you for, you know, letting me get on my, you know, getting on my rants every once in a while. And, you know, as I did here a little bit, we got, a, we did a little bit more this week just because we only had one game to talk about and we got nothing to preview. So let's, let's talk about some things, you know, and uh, again, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to, when you reached out and wanted to do this was so that I could try and help promote this league. And I will continue to do that little by little. I mean, I have a day job. I have a family. So I do my part. I'm hoping that, you know, maybe there's somebody that listens to this that that's in my situations. Like, what can I do? Well, just buy a shirt and wear it around, you know, and, and, you know, tell people about it and ask them, Hey, did you watch any XFL games this season? They completed the season, you know, talk about it a little bit. I could give a whole dissertation on spring football now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I could I could teach a class on it a little bit and the history about it because it made me read back to the old USFL that I watched as a kid as a as a little kid where I I climbed up on the couch and said looked at my dad and went what is this and he goes this is a USFL and there you know there was Herschel Walker so <laughs> I mean so to see these leagues do that um, is is great and. I appreciate you letting me do this. And again, I know I can talk a little bit, so I appreciate you always listening to me and, and let me get everything out. So I would be a terrible host if I did not let you talk. <laughs> Wouldn't I? I mean, what yeah. kind of podcast would that be? <laughs> but you're yeah, welcome. But you're welcome. I, I can go in different directions as you can kind of know a little bit and um, you know, but it's, it's fun. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to this off season to see. Um, and it, if you asked me, Hey, what do you want to see from the off season in the XFL? 
progress, right? We just want to see progress. Take another step. If you got to take two steps backwards to get it, you know, three steps forward, you know, go ahead and do that. But let's, let's see some progress. And I think we'll see that. I think we definitely will. And hopefully this year on Sundays, if there's an XFL, former XFL player that makes a squad and makes a play in the NFL, hopefully they'll mention it, you know, but we'll see. <laughs> well, it's a good story. And I think the, a lot of the networks for the NFL do pretty good lead in stories, whether it's coaches, players. So yeah, I would think if somebody's doing well enough, they would, but again, it's just, it's one player. It's not going to be the norm. So we'll have to see. And there's other leagues too, which we saw last year with the USFL were players. So it won't be just XFL players, USFL Absolutely. players. If they had that opportunity as well. So, well, Mark, thank you. We'll see what the future brings. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everybody enjoy, enjoy the off season, enjoy the NFL season. Enjoy the rest of the spring football and, um, you know, uh, we'll have to see what, what comes up next year. 2024. A huge thank you to Mark for his commitment and participation in 14 straight episodes. Seeing the 2023 XFL season has concluded, Mark will be taking a well-deserved break from the show. This is not a goodbye moment. It is a see you later situation. Mark will return when his schedule allows and the moment is right to share his insight. As I have also previously mentioned, I will now be joined by XFL News Hub journalist Anthony Miller to discuss the Arlington Renegades winning the XFL championship. Welcome back, Anthony. I appreciate you returning to the show to discuss the Arlington Renegades hoisting the 2023 XFL championship trophy and perhaps a little bit more. I appreciate being on the show, first of all. Second of all, you uttering that sentence, still, uh, I'm still shocked by that. I did not think we'd be having this type of conversation, but uh, what a happy accident it's been. Is it an accident? I, I'm not asking you to answer that. I'm like, it's just one of those things like, you know, life happens, and sometimes it just seems like destiny, or, you know, things are just bound to happen. So don't answer that, because you and I are not going to get on a philosophical level here, okay? That was not the intention. So why don't we get right into, obviously, this past Saturday, the Arlington Renegades defeated the D.C. Defenders. What was it, 35 to 26? And they were the second XFL team to be crowned as league champions, joining the 2001 Los Angeles Extreme. So, I mean, it's it's hard to believe that it took 20-some years in the making to have a second team crown, but in it happened to be the Arlington Renegades. So. As someone that is from the Dallas-Fort Worth area and a beat writer, if you will, for the Arlington Renegades, how sweet is this Cinderella championship run, Ben, for you? So it's been a combination of, you know, there's a lot of emotions that come with it. So I, I tweeted this, but I really did feel it on Saturday when they were doing the national anthem. I think it, the little kid's name, I think it was Mateo. He's like five years old and he was belting out this national anthem, which was his voice was fantastic. And I couldn't help but get a little bit emotional. You know, I was eight years old when the first XFL happened and I loved every second of it because I was a big WWE fan. So it was awesome to watch. And then three years ago, I got my first writing opportunity to cover the, the XFL and to see the league kind of die out after five games that was very heartbreaking for me. So for it to all come in full circle, waiting for this moment for 22 years to get another XFL title, to wait over three years for the XFL to actually complete a season, 
it was bittersweet. I mean, it was a, it was an unbelievable moment. The, the atmosphere was fantastic. It just, what I liked about it, it, it was a football game, but it felt like a celebration. Like it was a celebration of everyone that's been, you know, on the XFL side from day one, being able to just, you know, not maybe not feel relief, but being like, ah, oh, we finally made it. Now we can celebrate. We can have fun. Like seeing all the different types of fans, like seeing Guardian fans and seeing Battlehawk fans, like teams that weren't even in the title game, and be able to see those fans still celebrate was a really really cool sight to see. So it was a party atmosphere. It was just so much fun to be around that. And then I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan, but to, that's the first professional title that's been professional football title that's been brought to the Dallas Fort Worth area since 95. So I know for the city, it's a really big deal to have a professional title be brought back to the Dallas Fort Worth area. So I know for the city, that means a lot to them as well. And especially being, you know, the hub city and all that, it's a really good feeling to see. So overall, just it's a whirlwind of emotions, but I'm really proud of the team for how they played. That was something I was going to also eventually get to is saying like how important that is obviously to anyone that is fans of the, the local teams. And, you know, obviously there was a name change this year compared to 2020 when it was the Dallas team and Arlington, but they still play in the same stadium and whatnot. So it's still the Dallas Fort Worth area, but I thought it was fitting to actually reach back out to you. Uh, you know, one, we try to, talk a little bit and about hey it'd be cool to meet up over in san antonio obviously we're talking about how hectic it was and stuff but it'd be fitting to well let's circle back but you were on the show back right after that kyle slaughter release and that luis perez trade so Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting that we look at those two roster transactions were essentially the key to making all of this possible. And it, I mean, we were right there having a conversation and I don't think we realized how big that moment was. And, and I know I'm not trying to overplay it here. I know I'm just, I'm talking it up a little bit, but I'm not going to overplay it. But I think sometimes a trade is just not a trade because we've heard several of renegade players praising Perez and how positive his mindset and how uplifting the discussions they had, which improved and motivated everyone on the team. So I wanted to kind of reach out to you, and I'm glad we made this happen so quick because, man, I don't think either one of us realized how big of a moment that week was. And we didn't anticipate this happening at all, did we? Remember the conversation we were having when we were on your show? The Renegades were about to go to Orlando. They're about to play the Guardians. And I think I uttered something very stupid saying if they lose that game, and they and I think I did predict them to lose that game, that Orlando's got a chance to run the tables and make the playoffs. And now here we are sitting here, Renegades now champions of the XFL. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, we can't downplay the Luis Perez trade. It, it's, the I think, the most important trade that was made in the XFL this season. The impact that he was able to make on the team. Not only that, but they actually found a way to trade Ryan Moore, their linebacker, and found a way to get get him back on the roster like a week or two later. So in the end, they ended up getting two players without giving really anyone away. So 
But Perez's trade, I mean, is so critical because his football IQ is so high. He learned that offense so quick. He was a perfect fit for that system because he he makes really good decisions with the football. He has a quick release with his passes. He was a perfect fit for you know Jonathan Hayes and Chuck Long's offense. And we were there was a lot of criticism with Jonathan Hayes and the way he was you know play calling. But once he had a competent quarterback that he knew he you know he could stand behind and knows they can make the plays. He threw more on him and really challenged him to throw the ball deep. And, it, I mean, they started challenging defenses. And, you know, and I, I was doing the stats on it since Perez came in to replace Kyle Soder and Drew Plitt. That offense was averaging more than 110 yards per game than what they were with Kyle Soder and Drew Plitt. So it ultimately made the difference between them being just a team that's probably going to miss the playoffs to a team that won the championship. When I have had my contributor on, Mark Hallback, we've constantly talked about certain things that make certain teams more successful, right? It could be converting conversions, but we constantly came back to balanced offenses. And in some way, the inability for Sloter and Plitt to essentially get the ball down the field, for whatever reason, the offensive line appeared to be the biggest issue Obviously, quarterback play wasn't well, but a lot of people, even Mark, was saying it's the offensive line. Without, the, If you don't fix the offensive line, nothing's going to happen. Well, reality is here, they did not make changes to the offensive line. They just got a different quarterback that had a different outlook and really got into discussions with each individual player and trying to figure out a way what they could do. It just it's It's really surprising to think that one trade one person's outlook could change and uplift so many different people on that team obviously he had the ability to go look but i mean not to discredit devian smith because he i think allowed perez to do what he had to do as far as gameplay not maybe in the huddle not in practice not in the locker room but that balance and I constantly have always said, if somebody could have about 50, 60 yards a game, that's a solid running back in this league because of the way the clock. It's it's a faster-paced game. Mm-hmm. You're not going to ground and pound and run out the, the clock that way. I mean, it's going to be a pass-heavy league because of just the rules, the way it's all set up. So looking at somebody like Devion Smith had, what was it, 54 yards? I know it was 50-something, 54, 57 yards. He did exactly what he needed to do, but it obviously it worked. And I, it, that's why I had to take this moment. You know, we can talk about the championship game all we want, but it's just interesting how I'm beating that horse a bit. Luis Perez, man, we've seen it in the locker rooms, his speeches at halftimes or leading up to the game about, you know, moments and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, wow, what a change, really. Yeah. And, and, and something to think about, too, Michael, is, it, it, you know, not only Perez is the move for Perez, but the Renegades made a lot of change, but they made a lot of moves during the regular season that made an impact on the team. So talk about, for example, beginning of the year, they brought in Willie Beavers at left tackle. Most of the season he didn't play. It was George Moore at left tackle, but Willie Beavers came in late in the season to start in the playoffs. And he made a significant difference for that offensive line. So I think that helped them improve, especially since, you know, Willie Beavers was on that team back in 2020 and had that experience. I think that helped one. Darnell Sankey, the linebacker, got brought in week two or week three. He came in, became a starting inside linebacker, and he was critical during when Donald Payne was out. He became the guy that was leading the team in tackles. 
Um, you look at Javante Payton, a guy who was traded from the Orlando Guardians. What was that? I think also week two or week three. He ended up having over 120 yards receiving in the South Division Championship game. And then look at Letty Brown. He was brought in late in the season when Kenneth Farrell got hurt. And he ended up having two touchdowns in the championship game. So it's really a lot of credit has to be given to Coach Stoops and that front office for the job they did bringing in players, you know, in the middle of the season to be, you know, contributing right off the bat. Those are the type of moves that make or break a team and make them championship caliber. Right. Everything doesn't happen initially. And I think I'm hanging my hat a little bit more on Luis because obviously it's such a vital position and just how much all the guys have talked about his impact. But, I mean, those other guys were there a little bit sooner. So you it kind of feels like, well, obviously their addition didn't change the world for the team. Yeah. But you're right. Some things don't all happen right away because even Luis Perez didn't start that very first game. And he kind of had to take some time to get into it. So it's not like it was magical the moment he got there. But it was the final piece, obviously, that allowed this to happen. And a very important piece when you listen to all the other players talk about it. I mean, I didn't catch the broadcast, but I had seen somebody sharing on social media Sal Canella's interview. And I mean, oh man, just you could just see it in his body language and just hear it in his voice about how important Luis Perez was his team and what it meant to everybody. So, I mean, it was very fitting to catch uh, some of those clips that have also been on social media of Luis doing the confetti angels with his daughters. And, mm-hmm. uh, and whatnot, and obviously just very fitting to win the championship game MVP uh, because he obviously was the guy. I mean, I, I'll come back to one thing that could have probably changed this game, and we can get into the game if you want. He had that one pass he kind of threw up. He was going down. He was going down, and it was kind of a desperation toss. It came out all wobbly. I could have swore that it was going to be picked off, but somehow it was completed because had that had been picked off, I think that could have swayed the momentum just enough so that DC could have got back in the game, but it didn't happen. I don't want to beat that too much, but it just seemed like for how flawless of a game he really had, that one moment could have just did it. It's, Are you talking about the first play of the game? Uh, where he had the, I Early, very early. Yeah, I think it was the first play of the game where he had that pressure and everyone thought he was either going down or going to throw the pick, and he ended up getting like a five, six-yard completion. And, you know, that that's a really interesting point that that play, I think, really set the tone for the game where it felt like, oh, okay, well, even in this, the face of disaster, the Renegades can still gain yards because typically that type of play at the beginning of the year probably ends up being an interception or, you know, a loss of five, six yards. So that's a really interesting point that that play – really set the tone for, okay, the Renegades are able to make plays no matter what happens. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I hate to always say the the one momentum changer or whatever, because you have to play every play, every inch, every yard, right? It all matters, you know, any given Sunday, right? All those talking points, not mm-hmm. to be cliche-ish, um, but it really kind of did have that vibe. That's why I had to mention it. And I've shared that with a couple of people, and they're all kind of like, huh. Yeah, it's kind of a good point. It's just interesting that once they got ahead, they really didn't look back. There's a couple moments where it looked like DC was going to try to get back into it. Like, they weren't completely out of it. Like, But, yeah, the Renegades got ahead. And uh, everyone thought it was already a done deal at halftime. I mean, go ahead. I'm not, I mean, share what you're and all your thoughts. Yeah, it was a weird feeling where there was always the feeling at the back of my head, like, 
okay, maybe this is the play where DC gets back, or maybe this is the moment. It, it just never, it never came to fruition. It always felt like the Renegades were kind of in control of this game, despite the fact, like you said, there was multiple times like Abram Smith's 51 yard touchdown, where, you know, it was a one possession game, but then the Renegades responded right back with a touchdown. Like every time DC hit them in the face, Renegades got right back up and retaliated in some way. They got a touchdown. Like they always had some kind of response. And that is something that the Renegades team did not have at the beginning of the year. Cause every time they got punched in the face, they were done offensively. The offense was not able to support them. The defense, we know that we've known they can play all season long. They're, they're deep at every position. It's one of the best units in the league. Their defense has kept them in every game. The problem was the offense did not hold up their end of the bargain. The last two playoff games, the offense did more than hold up their end of the bargain. They were able to move the ball down the field. They got a lot better at converting short yards. They were not, they only had two turnovers in two games in the playoffs. Like they were a lot better with how they were playing the game and not having stupid costly penalties or turnovers. They played smart football. They were able to convert short yards. And they also, if they need a big place, they, they had receivers making big plays. Javante Payton was making big play after big play in the South Division Championship game. Tyler Vaughn's had three incredible catches in the first half of the championship game. Sal Canella had that great 41-yard touchdown catch. Like the receivers were making plays, and that was something that was not happening. So no matter what DC did, it always felt like Arlington was one step ahead of them and always had control of this game. Yeah, for an offense that scored less than 15 points per game. Kind of crazy because that offense obviously has been looking pretty good in the South Divisional Championship game, looked pretty freaking good in the championship game. But let's not lose sight here that even though he didn't get a whole lot of plays, Kelly Bryant's inclusion into this, I think, was a very interesting decision. And I think it may have just been enough for Craig Williams to be like, wait, what? Because I don't think he saw this coming. But I think if he would have thrown a couple passes, he could have really had Greg Williams and his team really off their game. So, I mean, I'm not acting like that was everything, but I I was really shocked because, I mean, obviously they dressed all 51 players for both teams, which I think was the right thing to do by the league. Mm. And it gave everyone a chance at that, what was it, 11,500 win bonus. You know, you've been part of the team for long enough. So, I mean, not to kind of switch gears there really quick. So I thought that was really good. I mean, you had all these players at your disposal. Not everyone gets used, especially a quarterback. So I thought that was a very interesting inclusion. Yeah, that's when something the Renegades have been. So they signed Kelly Bryant, what was that, week nine or week 10? And they've had packages for him that they run maybe two, three times a game where he's, you know, he's got that option that he can hand the ball off or he can run it. It's really unfortunate he got that touchdown call back because he did score a touchdown in the championship game. It was really unfortunate that they had that Juan Whittingham had that holding penalty because he would have had a touchdown in the stat book. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the type of creativity that that offense has been missing all season. So, you know, Kelly Bryant's signing was, I want to say it was under the radar, but I don't think a lot of people were talking about it. But I think it helped Jonathan Hayes and Chuck Long open up the playbook in the offense where they can throw Kelly Bryant out there for two, three, four plays and be able just to run the football down their throats because Kelly Bryant's a big quarterback. He can run over guys if he needs to, and then he can they can catch him, you know, off balance with Devion Smith or Letty Brown. So 
I think you have a point there where I don't think Greg Williams was really prepared for it, but it has been something the Renegades been kind of slowly running, but I'm glad they used Kelly Bryant more because I think that kind of changed the balance of the offense and it got them to be more creative. We know that the Renegades defense has been solid all year. Really has been. It's the only thing to give them a chance to win games, winning what? Scoring 12 points, right? I mean, it's, it's crazy to think, but you would think, those are not winnable games, but when you have a defense as solid as theirs has been, I mean, now you take a look at the championship game, and I remember talking in the lead-up to the game, I'm like, you know, they kind of kept Smith there in check in the first game. They only lost by two points. I'm like, this is going to be very interesting. They really did, except for one play. I mean, that was a huge play, 52 yards, that rush. But, I mean, other than that, he really wasn't that as much of a factor for somebody that was one of those guys in consideration for being offensive player of the year, or if there was a a league MVP that were one of the names constantly mentioned by people. So, I mean, I I think again, another fantastic outing. I know if you look at allowing 26 points, it doesn't appear to be that way, but if you hone in on the right people, I mean, and obviously Tom will made some turnovers. So obviously defense, got to him enough i mean so i i'll just want to get your takes on that performance from that side of the ball yeah so first talking about abram smith prior to this game the last four games he has played he didn't rush for more than 50 yards so even if if you if you take out the 52 yard touchdown run he had 12 carries for what 38 yards something like that i mean he didn't really do much. He had one really big run, and that's it. But that's that's Abram Smith. I mean, that's, that's the type of game he's played. He'll have a really long run and then won't do anything much. I mean, the D.C. The running game has really not been that great. They've kind of leaned heavily on Jordan Tiamu. They had to do it again um, on Saturday, and it didn't pay off because the Renegades secondary is one of the best in the league. I mean, you talk about uh, Devontae uh, Bosby, the type of game he had. He played well. Craven LeBlanc had a good game. Brandon Bruznak, who's been a backup safety for most of the season for them, came in and made that spectacular tipped one-handed interception. Uh, Joe Powell did what he usually does. He got his fifth interception of the season. I mean, that that secondary was eating very nicely because Tiamu was trying to force passes in there. He was forced to throw the ball a lot. And, you know, while Jordan Tiamu has really passed the ball well the second half of the season, um, in the playoffs, he threw five picks in two games. I mean, it just it just felt like he just wasn't the same quarterback he was in the regular season. I felt like the D.C. offense was not running the top of offense they wanted. And a lot of that has to do with the Renegades. That front seven is incredible. You talk about um, Devontae Lambert, all XFL defensive tackle. The, he had a great game. You talk about you know T.J. Barnes, the performance he had in the game. Will Clark was great. I think the biggest factor to that defense has been Donald Payne. Getting him back for the playoffs was massive for this team. This was a guy that they thought he was going to have surgery and he was going to be out for the whole season. And then all of a sudden he's ready to go and play in the South division playoff game. And then in the playoffs, he ends up leading the team in tackles with 17 to two games. So I think having, you know, Donald Payne in there was a major factor for this front seven and it proved dividend for the team. So yeah, I I think major credit to the defense. Again, got to give credit to Jay Hayes and Tim Lewis. Those defensive coordinators have really done a great job putting this defensive unit together. And this is a defense that's had a lot of injuries and they were able to fight through it because of the depth they have at every position and still perform at a high level. So yeah, 
They did a great job pressuring Jordan Tiamu. There's a couple times he was able to run out of the pocket, but when he had to be in the pocket and throw it, secondary didn't give him a lot of looks. I mean, he barely had over 50% completion percentage. That secondary did a great job. That's completely not the guy that we had seen in 2020 that was averaging around 70% completion or even was starting to look as if his old self as this 2023 season was coming along. But to finish, uh, you know, 16 of 30, yeah, that was pretty rough. And obviously you start factoring in turnovers, that even paints the pitcher even more dismal. How much do you think bulletin board material probably was factored into this? I bet you Stoops, Hayes, you know, we're the 4-16 and 16 to make the playoffs. We don't deserve to be here. We got a new quarterback. Whatever they needed to beat that drum, post it on the board, talking points over and over. Do you think that played a big factor here in motivating the team? Because they literally had nothing to lose. Everyone already had them pegged as the losers. Yeah, that's an interesting question because that's something that was that I had asked Coach Stoops in one of our media availability Zoom calls um, before the South Division. And I had asked him a similar question about uh, you know, Baltimore material and how it felt to be the underdog. Coach Stoops is like, I don't care about that. We don't, we don't focus on that. That's not our thing. We're just going to play our game. There's a part of me that kind of believes it and kind of doesn't, but Coach Stoops has got that mentality where I think he's got all the confidence. I think there's a swagger to Coach Stoops where he's like, I don't care what other people say. I don't care what other people think. I have won a national championship. I have won multiple Big 12 titles. I know what the hell I'm doing. I'm going to get this team ready to play. And he was able to do that. So I think I'm sure some of the players found it to be motivating, but I'm telling you, Coach Stoops probably wouldn't have that in his locker room. He'd probably be like, I don't care about that, guys. We know what we need to do to win. We're going to, us as coaches, are going to put you in a position to win games. You just have to go out there and make plays. And that's exactly what happened. So I don't think Coach Stoops would allow it because that's just not his mentality. He doesn't care about outside noise. He's only focused on the team from within. And that is honestly is what made him, has made him such a successful coach in his college career and now in his XFL career. Well, regardless, they are a 6-6 six and six team. That's how they finished up. No losing record. They were a 500 club, but they have the trophy to prove that they're champions. So at this point, it doesn't matter what the talking points were, what they are. They're champions. We can put the rest of that to bed. None of us have a crystal ball. 2023 is over. But yet we can look towards the future and speculate probably a little bit. This week, the XFL announced 11 players. And then just earlier, they just updated the list and I don't have the exact count. So it's 11 plus whatever got released today. It's, of- yeah, I think it's 20 now because I will say first Renegades player just got signed. Uh, Willie Taylor, their linebacker, just signed with the Jaguars. So I believe as of this recording Tuesday night, the number is 20 as of right now. They have signed with National Football League teams, just to bring that full circle, obviously, if people were trying to connect the dots. We know there are several more reports claiming of more announcements that are on the horizon. It's just going to be probably whether it's tomorrow or whatever. Obviously, the one dropped tonight. Now that the championship game is behind us, we know there's going to be Arlington Renegade players, obviously D.C. Defender players are going to get that mix that weren't quite in discussions before because they were focused on the playoffs and obviously the championship game. So there's going to be more opportunity for players. So looking at this, 
we've seen countless teams, whether it's college football, the National Football League, they can build a roster year after year after year. We know there's going to be turnover. We know. We just don't know how much. Because when you win a championship, let's just use the Renegades as an example here, it tends to put a spotlight on some players, regardless. I mean, not saying that their other highlights didn't do it and what they've done, but also as you're, you're a winner, you're deemed a winner, right? So that's a desirable thing. So we know the National Football League is going to be looking at them. We know the Canadian Football League is going to be looking at them. We even know their competitor, the USFL, will be looking at them. It's going to be hard to keep teams intact. What I'm hoping, and I, I mean, I don't know anything more because I haven't seen any of their contracts. I haven't really talked to anybody that's put together contracts. So this could be all nothing but speculation. I'm hoping the XFL, with all that time they had to get a contract ironclad, I'm hoping they kind of figure that out to reduce these type of issues that when they do go to camps or, in the, or they do get released, that these players will be coming back. But from what I'm seeing, multiple players are posting thank yous and farewells on their social media accounts. How much turnover do you anticipate from this season's roster before 2024? So are we talking just Renegades roster or everybody's roster, like the the league in general? I think uh, we can focus on the Renegades, but I mean, I guess both are really in question, right? Yeah, so let's start with the XFL. So my anticipation is, so last year, the USFL did about, I think, 60 players signed NFL contracts. I'm thinking it's probably going to be about the same. It's because right now, I mean, just two days already, we have 20 players that are signed. So I can probably see the league being having 50 to 60 players sign contracts. Now it's a matter of how many are actually going to make the roster. That's the bigger question. My anticipation is there's probably not going to be as many that are going to make an NFL roster, probably more likely to make practice squad. So we could see maybe 30, 40% of the league that gets signed to the NFL actually either make the roster or make a practice squad. And the one thing the contracts are set up to do is, you know, they can get out of their contract by going to the NFL, But if they want to come back to the XFL, they can absolutely do that. They'll be assigned to the same team and stuff like that. I do think a lot of these players will still come back to the XFL if the NFL doesn't work out for them. And I think simply because of what the league has done for them, the position they've been put in, these leagues are important for their development. So for maybe some of these guys, they may need another year to play in the XFL. So they'll probably come back and do it. Now, if they go to the USFL, it's probably going to be strictly because of money. Not only that, money and development, but because the USFL is paying their players a little bit more than the XFL is. So that would be kind of an interesting development this offseason to see if the XFL is going to address how much they're going to pay players. Because right now the USFL is paying their players more and they have a players union. The XFL doesn't have a players union and they're going to pay a little bit less. So that might be something the league is going to have to address, which will make things interesting in how players decide if they go back to the XFL, if they're going to go to the USFL or anything like that. So my anticipation is there'll be a lot of players I'll be signing here in the next few weeks with the NFL, probably 50 to 60, maybe even more. It's just a matter of how many are actually going to make it and what are they going to do afterwards. I do think it's interesting to look at the players union situation. Because most players seem like they want it. But for whatever reason, that wasn't the outcome when they were looking 
to unionize earlier this year. And it wasn't a whole lot of people actually even casted a vote, which I, I found very interesting. It was, uh, well, I don't even think half the players in the league cast the vote, but that, that's not how unions have to be. You don't need everybody to cast a vote one way or another. It was less than 100 players that voted for it and then 100 and something that voted against it. But in the aftermath, we saw like Brahma's kicker saying, it's not that we don't want to unionize, we want to unionize with the right partner. And it was floated out there that they're interested in the National Football League Players Association. I thought that was very interesting because if you go to the USFL, it is that same thing that you just turned down to unionize with. That was the same backing with the Steelers union was essentially the one. Not that they are steel workers. It's just, it's a union that was going to help facilitate things. So I don't know how much that union now becomes, well, I want to be unionized. Well, if you did, then I think you would have made sure you cast your vote for it to have happened initially here in the XFL. Because even if you would have left, because you would have got out of your contract, you would have want something set up that way. So I'm not certain how much that union actually it will sway people in the favor of the USFL versus the XFL. I, I just find that interesting because I would have thought it would have been a no-brainer. You just want to be unionized no matter what. But apparently that's not the case. I mean, it depends on the parameters of the of how the union is set up. Like, what is the agreement with the union? Because they're going to have terms in terms of how much players are going to get paid. You know, are they going to get you know boarding? Are they going to get insurance? It, that a lot of that can play into the player's decision whether unionizing is the right thing to do or if they just leave it as is. So, yeah, it really did seem like maybe the XFL players felt a little more comfortable in what they had right now, or like I think John Parker Romo is the one who said, you know, let's partner with the NFL. And maybe the XFL players are banking on that just because the XFL seems to have a tighter relationship with the NFL. I mean, The Rock just talked about last week how what was it 2021, he went to have a meeting with Roger Goodell and the, the NFL front office and wanted to partner with them. They, they, they have the NFL Alumni Academy. So there is that partnership already. It may be that the players want to see if they can try to push that relationship further and actually just almost be the feeder system to the NFL. Because if that ends up being the case where the XFL is the, you know, the farm system for the NFL, the players would rather just do that because that's an easier foot in the door in the NFL than it is with the USFLs, just as kind of focus on taking care of the players and if they want to stay there. XFL players, you know, the XFL pushes for players to, we want to go to the NFL. We want you to play in the NFL. That makes us look better if you play in the NFL. So that might be a relationship that they, not only the, the league wants to push for, but the players do as well. All fair. It's difficult to really figure out exactly what it is. Unions just seem to be everything that a player wants, but it was interesting in this case that they didn't go with it. But there's a number of factors. You know, we might have this ear or, you know, this person, but to get the full story, no one truly has it. But it's nice. Like I said, we're going to put on the speculation hat a little bit. <laughs> and it's all we can do because we don't have that crystal ball. We don't have a look into the actual future. But we know that there will be some turnover on those rosters. And uh, it'll be interesting who actually comes back and how ironclad those XFL rosters were so that if they do get released from those NFL teams, if that essentially keeps them from moving on to either the CFL or the USFL. So I think that'd be interesting. Obviously, that'll give us a lot to talk about in the offseason and to keep an eye on as those things uh, move forward. 
Is there anything I'm missing surrounding the Arlington Renegades that you believe is very important to get out there right now, championship-wise, whatever roster-wise, that clearly I just didn't touch base on that probably people should be aware of that we've just kind of overlooked? I mean, I would just say one, Bob Stoops deserves a lot of credit. I want to make sure he gets his recognition for the job he's done. You know, 2020 was a up-and-down season as well. They finished 2-3 and three before COVID happened. He was the only head coach that was a head coach in 2020 that came back to do it again in 2023. He was able to accomplish the job this time around, despite it also being kind of an up-and-down season. So major credit to him to kind of ride the wave until the very end and be able to close out the season the right way. And then lastly, again, just have to go back to Willie Taylor getting signed to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's the first renegade to get signed. So major kudos to him. That's a guy that his story is phenomenal from, you know, he was playing football at Eastern Kentucky in the fall, decided to go play in the XFL to try to get some game tape since he was on a smaller school, ended up being tied for the team lead in sacks with four and became one of their best pass rushers. And while he didn't get drafted in the NFL draft this year, he got his foot in the door in the NFL. So that's those are the type of stories that is what makes the XFL so great is that it's giving these players an opportunity that maybe they're from a smaller school, maybe they didn't get as much, you know, publicity. Now they're, you know, they're, they're out there on national television playing at a high level and being able to get their foot in the door in the NFL, which is, that's the beauty of this league. And that's why I love the XFL so much. Well, perfect. Once again, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to return and discuss the Arlington Renegades Cinderella Championship run with me and anything else surrounding the team. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Do you want to throw your social media and your work out there one more time so people can just follow along with all the work that you do? Yeah, so you can follow me uh, at by Anthony Miller on Twitter if you want to check out my tweets and my work there. And obviously, you know, please check out XFL News Hub. Um, you know, the season might be over, but for a lot of us, we are. I just finished up my article on Willie Taylor signing, so we, we got a lot of work to do this off season, trying to cover all these signings and make sure we're keeping you guys up to date. So please, you know, follow XFL News Hub on Twitter and the website as well. We're doing a ton of work, so. Uh, just uh, stay tuned for that. we got a lot of articles coming out. Oh, it's not over by any means, folks. So stay tuned to all of your sources. And Anthony's been a you know a good one, too. So listen, follow him. And if you see any, any other shows he's on, why not? I mean, just tune in. You never know what you're going to catch because uh, sometimes conversations just get very interesting. And it's not always what you read in an article. There's other bits and pieces. So why not just uh, connect the dots if you can? Right, Anthony? Absolutely. I appreciate it, Michael. Thank you. You're welcome. Being a Renegades beat writer, it only seemed fitting to have Anthony return to pick his mind and get his thoughts on Arlington winning the 2023 XFL championship. I am looking forward to his continued work covering the team and league during the offseason. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling. 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. Perez. Colby Pearson breaks the tackle and there he goes. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. 
So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform of choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, for 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.